All right. Good morning. As we say goodbye to our kids, hope you guys have a great experience. And um, I'm, I'm grateful to be back with the Union Hill family and to be the first time with the Mountain Ridge family. So uh, what an adventure that you guys are going to be figuring out in the days to come. And it's my privilege to kind of be on the front end of some of that. And I know you're uh, missing Ben and Catherine, and I just want to commend you again for the whole sabbatical thing that you do here to invest in your pastor, which is also an investment in your church for the future. Uh, so good job on that. Uh, Mountain Ridge, I've known you for a long time, even though you probably have never seen me um, because of my friendship with Ray. You know, I remember your first service. I remember those movie theater days, and then when you got into the kind of office warehouse space that you were in, it actually inspired Meadowbrook Church to do a similar kind of move. We, we'd been in schools for 16 years and uh, did a similar thing. So uh, I've had a long-term love and affection for both congregations, and this is just an unusual privilege for me to get to do this with you. Hey, in a few minutes, we will be receiving the Lord's Supper. And the Apostle Paul admonished us to be sure that you examine yourself before you receive those elements. And so um, if there's anything between you and the Lord that would hinder your being able to commune with him through these elements, uh, let me encourage you to take the next few minutes and do a little heart work, a little life work, and prepare yourself uh, for the time of the Lord's Supper together. We are going to uh, continue uh, today's part two in our reflections out of the book of Colossians. And I will always encourage you to have the text open before yourself, whether you have a, a hard copy Bible or you're using some kind of device. And if you need a Bible, there's, there's some really nice ones on the sides here um, that you're welcome to, to make use of. But we'll be in Colossians chapter 1, and uh, we'll be talking about getting the truth on who Jesus really is. So uh, this entire series will be on this idea of what's true, what's false in today's culture. Uh, knowing the difference matters, uh, because we want to be a people of the truth who live the truth and uh, benefit from the truth. And so last week we talked about the truth about who you are according to the scriptures. And today we'll be talking about the truth of who Jesus is according to the scriptures. Perhaps you've heard someone say, you know, I really like Jesus. I just don't care too much for the church. Or some people have said, I like Jesus. I'm just not into religion, things like that. And sometimes uh, the person that makes that kind of comment uh, comes from a point of pain. Maybe they had some kind of experience in the church or in religion that hurt them in some kind of way. And I'm sympathetic to that. It, it really does touch my heart when I know people uh, have that in their story. But for some other people, they like Jesus and they don't like the other things because they've kind of formed and fashioned Jesus in their own way and in their own will. Uh, I'll use the word caricature. They, they've made Jesus something less, something other than who he really is. 
and they've emphasized one or two traits to the exclusion of some others. And so uh, the Jesus they like is not the real, full, robust Lord, King of Kings, Jesus. So you know what a caricature is. It's uh, an exaggeration of certain features uh, or traits in someone. So uh, there's enough resemblance there that you know who you're talking about, but it doesn't really capture the true essence. And so you have no, no problem recognizing these caricatures. When it comes to Jesus, I'm going to tell you that the caricatures bother me. If you get to know Jesus in a personal, intimate, up-close kind of way, the, the caricatures trouble you. Uh, they disturb, they disappoint because they miss the beautiful, true, full essence of who Jesus is. And so a lot of times they're capturing this soft and tender side of Jesus and he's your buddy uh, he's your friend. He's your forgiver. And see, you know, those, there are aspects of that that are true, but they're exaggerated to the exclusion of some other characteristics and traits of Jesus that are equally important for us to know and to grasp and to be impacted by. And of course, my least favorite of all character of Jesus is cool Jesus. Um, and I, I've got friends that think that's, they, they love that. I've got a friend that's got a bobblehead, cool Jesus on his car, you know. And uh, every time I see it, I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But uh, so I'm not, I, I, I'm not looking to shame anybody about that if you've got a bobblehead. Um, just to say, don't miss true Jesus in the process. Because true Jesus is Everything. Now you are acquainted with the Apostle John. Original, part of the original 12, part of the original three of the followers of Jesus, known as the beloved disciple, who was entrusted by Jesus with Jesus' mother, Mary. So when Jesus was crucified, he tells John, I want you to take care of Mary. This is now your mother. He later becomes a pastor in Ephesus, and uh, out of that uh, experiences some oppression and is exiled to an island called Patmos. And you know that uh, while on that island, he had an altogether new and different experience with the resurrected Jesus that left him saying something that rocks our world. So as we get ready to hear what John's going to tell us, let's just kind of grasp what's going on in our culture. Uh, Stephen Prothero is a professor of religion at Boston University, and he's an agnostic. He's not a believer. But he says this about Jesus in a, in a book that he wrote. He said, in the United States, Jesus is widely hailed as king of kings. But it is a strange sort of sovereign who is so slavishly responsive to his subjects. The American Jesus is more a pawn than a king. What a fascinating statement from a non-believer. 
And then theologian J.I. Packer said, the modern church's vision of Jesus is like Humpty Dumpty, broken into a hundred fragments. Everyone has a piece of the truth of who he is, but few are trying to put all the pieces back together again so as to give a comprehensive message who Jesus is in all of his greatness. So, some of you may remember uh, a few years ago, the Kellogg's company was troubled that their primary cereal product was failing on the market. Kellogg's cornflakes. And, uh, I, you know, I would have to admit, I'm probably one of those that had left Kellogg's cornflakes in the dust. I'd gone after other cereals. And so the Kellogg's company and the marketing department decided we need to do something to recapture some of that market share. And so they came up with this notion that Kellogg's cornflakes, taste them for the first time again. Taste them for the first time again. And uh, that notion is something of what I think we need to uh, open our hearts to regarding Jesus. Meet him, experience him for the first time again. Because I know you know him, I know you have some relationship with him, but perhaps even in this morning, there will be a fresh glimpse of Jesus that will leave you going, wow, I needed to encounter him in that way. Meet Jesus again for the first time. And that's what I'm suggesting was taking place for John on the Isle of Patmos. Listen to what he said, 115. His voice, he's in the presence of the Lord, he's caught up in a vision, he's beholding some of the, ma the majesty of the Lord, and he says, his voice was like the roar of many waters. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now this is John the Beloved, John who's written the gospel, John who's written letters to the churches, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, Meeting Jesus again, but in a first-time kind of way. His voice, his presence was so overwhelming. It was so mighty. I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, is this the Jesus you know? The Jesus who loves you, the Jesus who says you're beloved, the Jesus who's died for your sins, the Jesus who will forgive you, who is also the mighty God of the universe, who holds all power, whose voice has a roar like many waters. Sherry and I had the opportunity a few years ago to visit Niagara Falls. You been there, anybody? few of you. So 167 foot drop in the falls, but 87,756 cubic feet per second go over those falls. It's the, the largest rush of water anywhere in the world. And if you've been there, it is a roar. It's, it's kind of hard to hear each other if you're standing by the falls trying to speak to one another. 
And so when John says, I was caught up in the presence of the Lord and his voice was like the roar of many waters, I think about standing right there at the powerful Niagara Falls. And John says, I fell as a dead man. But he laid his right hand upon me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Meeting Jesus again for the first time. So we're in the book of Colossians, and Colossians is going to help us to get in touch with Jesus in this kind of way. Uh, as we mentioned last time, this is a little letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church, a group of believers in a town called Colossae, not far from the ancient city of Ephesus. Paul had never been there. Paul had not founded that church. A guy by the name of Epaphras was a friend of Paul's and very involved in the church, likely the church planter there. And after he had given a report of the church to Paul, who was in prison, Paul was stirred to write this letter to the Colossians. Because even though there was a lot of uh, wondrous stuff going on in that church, they were submerged in a lot of heretical idea and thinking. There were false teachers teaching falsehoods about their person, thus he addressed their personhood, and teaching false things about Jesus, and thus he is going to address who is the true Jesus. Now you could probably put those heretical uh, voices in a couple of camps. One of those would be what we would call today Gnostics. Uh, Gnostics were those who thought that the way to salvation and the way to life uh, was found in the uh, unpacking of the various mysteries of life. And Jesus was one of the mysteries. And Jesus was a means to some of the mysteries, but he wasn't the whole deal. Then there was another group that you could call Judaizers. These would be people who had been Jews before they became Jesus followers. And they brought all their Jewish baggage with them. And they basically said, Jesus is great and Jesus saves. But you need to practice various law legal things before Jesus can take effect for you. And so there were all these skewed heretical ideas. And Paul just cuts through it all to say, stop it, stop it. This is who Jesus is. And so as we get into the text, let's pick it up at verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body 
the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish. Let's take a few moments and just sit in and savor what Paul has declared is true about Jesus. And the first is, Jesus is God. He's not like God. He's not a pointer to God. Uh, he is God. 100%. To know who God is and what God is like is to look at and behold Jesus. He is, verse 19 said, the fullness of everything that there is about God you can find in Jesus. And then as the firstborn of creation, he's also human. At the same time, 100% Human, Yes, it's one of those great paradoxes in our faith. Fully God, fully man at the same time. And Paul says he's the creator. So out of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Son was the one about the work of creation. John told us that in his gospel. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And that all was brought into being by the Word, by Jesus. And creation is not only by Him, He did it, it is for Him. So He's the owner of everything. And we don't have time to go down that road today, but with respect to the practice of stewardship... Everything in this world that we enjoy, that we get to use, that we get to handle, that we get to own, actually belongs to him. And we are stewards. We, we just get to use his stuff. We get to use his creation. We get to use the material blessings that are a part of our lives. And therefore, they're not only there for our enjoyment, but they're there for our stewardship, for our making use of things to his glory, to his purposes. More about that on another day. Paul says he's also the sustainer. Now think about that. He didn't just fling creation into being and said, see you later, I'll be back. No, he is constantly present, constantly involved in sustaining or holding everything together. If he were to take a nap, if he were to close his eyes for a moment, things would begin to fall apart. But he is constantly engaged and present, even in those dark times, even when you are like, where is God in this? 
He is the creator God who holds it all together, the sustainer, the ever-present one at work. And he's the head of the church, his body of believers, which is to say he informs the church as a head, he guides the church, he cares for the church. If there's any caring that we do for one another, we're doing it under his authority and under his power and with his grace so that if my care for you means anything, it's because of what he's doing in and through me that will embrace, edify, bless in some way. This, of course, as we are so dependent upon him as a body, as a church, gives the preeminence, highlights the supremacy of Jesus. And then Paul says, just in this one little passage, that he is the reconciler. What a remarkable gift. We are not just just a forgiven people. He's, he's forgiven us, but he's not kept us separate and distant from himself. But he has reconciled us to himself. Part of the gift of forgiveness is reconciliation. Bringing us back into closeness and into intimacy. And make no mistake about it, he's not reconciled to us we are reconciled to him. We were the wayward one. We were the fallen one. And he brought us back to himself. Here's how Paul said it to the Corinthians. God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. Thank you, Lord. Now, as we continue to meet Jesus again for the first time, I'm going to invite you into a little exercise with me. Uh, someone has done us the great favor of collecting the names of Jesus that you can find throughout the scripture. And I'm going to invite you to join me in declaring again, but for the first time, the names of Jesus. And so I'm going to Show these names on the screen. And those words that are in bold, I'm going to invite you to declare in unison. And the words that are, or the phrases that are not in bold, I will speak. And so we'll do so responsibly. I'll say a word and then you say a word. And I'll say a word and you say a word. Make sense? And because we're talking about the name, names of Jesus, let's stand together. And as you are in his presence and his representative in this world, let us make these words and phrases declarations. His name shall be called Supreme, Jesus. Messiah, Emmanuel. Radiance of God's glory, Firstborn of all creation, Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. The chosen one. Faithful and true witness. He is the king of king, king of Jews. Ruler of the kings of the earth. Redeemer. 
Son of Man, Messenger of the Covenant, our Master, Bread of Life, Advocate before the Father, the new and living way, fragrant offering to God, the true vine, finisher of our faith. Okay, can you help me get to that next slide? It disappeared. That's the last one you've got for me? Yes. Okay. Oh, here we go. Did we do that one? We did that one. Okay, that's the last one. All right, go ahead and be seated. There was more. Were you having fun? Yes, sir. I'm telling you, I love Jesus. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. It's no wonder that Jesus himself said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you will ever need will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you will ever need will be added to you. And so as we enter into a time of response, how do we process, how do we think about who Jesus is, what it means to know him, what it means to follow him, what it means to honor and glorify him, I'm going to invite you to make fresh commitments. The international sign of surrender is the waving of the white flag. And so I want you to imagine in your heart, the true you who inhabits your body has a white flag. And you are recognizing freshly today that there is no other to whom you should surrender your life. There is no other who should be first and foremost in your life. There is no other who should be the king and the Lord of your life. And so let me encourage you to freshly wave the flag of surrender in your heart and to do so with some specificity. We're, we're asking the Lord to specifically highlight things in your life to surrender. Things about your relationships. Freshly surrender your marriage or your singleness to the Lord, your parenting, or your childlessness to the Lord. Freshly surrender the things that God entrusts to you as stewards, your finances, your spending, your giving, your saving, surrendered. To him, as he directs, as he guides, you'll do that with your finances. You'll do that with your opportunities. There are opportunities before you every day to be and to do, to engage, to make a difference. Will you freshly surrender your opportunities to him? The work 
the career, the vocation, whatever you call it. Will you surrender that to him? He, if you have a, a work in some place where you're connecting with people, God's placed you there strategically. Your salt, your light. Will you surrender who you are to him in your place of work? In your social circles, the shoulders with whom you, you rub with one another, places you recreate, neighborhood, Lord, I'm yours. I freshly surrender to you in these arenas. And with respect to his church, will you freshly surrender to him about the part you play in his body? There's no spectators in the body of Christ. We're all necessary members or parts of the body that the body doesn't function as the body should function without everyone playing the part that God's given us to play, that he's gifted you for, that he's stirred passion in you for, that he has strategically placed you in this body at this unique time. Let me pray for you. Lord, as we freshly take in who you are, it's overwhelming. And we would be fully overwhelmed, but not for your grace and graciousness. We know we don't deserve to be sons and daughters, and yet you have adopted us. And you've not only breathed life into us, but you have gifted us. You've given us abilities, divine enablements, so that it matters that we're in this world. And everything we do can glorify you. And so we freshly surrender. Dedicate the totality of who we are to you. In Jesus' name, amen.